Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we're doing something a little bit different than our typical podcast. Uh, we're going to be featuring over the next four weeks a class that we're doing on Thursday nights at North Shore Vineyard called The Art of Storytelling. This is the second year that I've done this class, and I just thought this material would be, would be helpful. It's a little bit different format than obviously the weekend messages. So it's because it's more of a class, so a little bit longer and uh, a little bit more interactive. So anyway, this is part one. This one is about connecting with people through stories. So we'll go ahead and have the class, The Art of Storytelling, part one. Thanks for listening. Further ado, uh, welcome to the Art of Storytelling. This is the second time that we've done this class. We did this last year, and kind of the reason that I created this class to begin with was, uh, in my years of being both a songwriter and a pastor, I've seen the power of stories. You know, whether they're stories that you share in song, whether it's stories that, that I share in a in a message on a Sunday morning or the countless times that I've just sat down and listened to somebody's story and been uh, impacted by it. I would actually say that when it comes to uh, beliefs in my life where I've changed my thoughts on something, most of the time that had to do with listening to somebody's story. Have you ever noticed it's real easy to have opinions on something until you actually meet somebody that is in that situation? You know, like you can go like, ah, Single moms, that's man, they just need to buck up. And you know, and then you sit down with a single mom and hear their story, and you're like, Holy crap, we need to do more to help you. Uh, and I've found over the years, it's been sitting down with people who maybe I had very, very strong opinions about what they were doing or where they were in life. And oftentimes, just sitting down and hearing their stories, hearing their struggles, it's really caused me to, if, if I didn't change my beliefs, it's caused me to see that situation in a completely different light. That's the power of stories. And so this class, I just kind of put it together. For one, it, it's, it, it's helpful for, to, to remind me of stuff. But whether you're a person that, that communicates as part of your job or somebody who just wants to learn how to communicate your own story better, whether it's your testimony or whatever, uh, I think we, we can all learn something in this class. This is, and I'll say one last thing that, one last thing before I say everything else. Um, when we uh, st- started this class last year, I, I did not think of this class intentionally as being a very spiritual class. I just thought of it more kind of practicalities on, on talking and stuff like that. And, and yet I found through the process of sharing stories and reflecting on our lives, it was really one of the most spiritual classes I think that we've done. So I would say if you, if you stick with this class, it's only three more weeks after tonight, uh, that I really do think that there are some powerful ways we can encounter the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the lives of others through reflection, through listening, and even sharing. So tonight... I want to start off um, with Jesus, because that's what you got to do when you're a pastor, right? Um, did you know that when, you, when it comes to, to scientists, philosophers, sociologists, people who try to figure out what makes human beings different from other animals, they've come up with all kinds of different explanations, some... some talk about language, some talk about, you know, art, some talk about different things. But one of the best answers that science has come up with that distinguishes human beings from other animals is story. Uh, that human beings are the only animals that, that we know of uh, that conceive of ourselves in story. Every one of us in here thinks of ourselves in, in terms of a story. We all have kind of a story that we're living in. We think of ourselves in a narrative but not only that, 
I recently uh, went through a book by a, a, an Israeli historian, uh, Yuval Harari, and he was saying, you know, human beings are the only animals that not only think in terms of stories, but we gather around stories. We create stories that are meaningful to us, and we all got, I mean, that's what we do on Sunday morning here. We gather around meaningful stories, and we talk these, and we hold these things. You know, there's other animals who can cooperate together, like ants. Uh, other animals can communicate, like dolphins. But human beings are the only animals that actually can create stories and hold on to stories as a community and work together around these stories. So... So, so really, this is fundamental to who we are. But I want to start with Jesus here. And I'm going to read to you the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then we'll kind of talk about this here in a second. A religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And he answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? And he said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle, and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it, and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, this man asked, and how would you define neighbor? And Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, a religious man, showed up, and he also avoided the injured man. Finally, a Samaritan was traveling the road and came to him. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto a donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man who, attacked, who was attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So the question that starts off this passage is, how do you define how do you, how do you define neighbor? Now, why didn't Jesus just give him a definition? When the guy says, and how do you define neighbor? Why didn't Jesus just define it? Why do you think Jesus gave him a story? Mueller. More relatable? Yeah. See, the story that Jesus tells, Jesus could have said, a neighbor is... One who just shows compassion on people around him. Jesus could have said that, given him an answer. But do you ever, have you ever noticed how when you just get an answer, then all of a sudden, if, particularly if you're a guy like this that is prone to loopholes, even the answer sets you off looking for more loopholes. You know, we, we always, it's kind of like when Peter said, and Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive someone? Seven times seven? That's a lot. And Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven. Um, we, we always look for some loophole. Jesus, by telling this guy a story, when you hear a story, guess what? Your defenses come down, don't they? In order to actually to listen to a story, your defenses have to come down. I mean, if you're truly listening. And when your defenses are down, your imagination's engaged, right? I mean... This story was told 2,000 years ago. We don't understand the... I mean, if, if you're just a modern American person looking at this story, you have no idea about the conflict between the Jews and how they look down on the Samaritans. You have no idea about, you know, the socioeconomic situation or the power. We don't know any of that. But this story is simple enough that even without knowing a lot of the cultural details, we get the point. But just imagine how those original hearers who were listening to Jesus, who looked down on Samaritans and called them dogs, 
Just imagine how they would have heard that story and how they would have imagined it. Jesus, and it's, it's very interesting too in this passage, the guy starts off with the question, and how do you define neighbor? And then instead of who is my neighbor, Jesus says, well, who acted like a neighbor here? Who was the neighbor to the guy that, that, that fell in, in, in the streets that was, was beaten down? Who was it? And so Jesus, through telling a story, is actually causing this own guy's sense of morality and justice and rightness and his own imagination, his own intellect to come to that conclusion without Jesus forcing that conclusion on him. That's the brilliant thing of stories. I want to I tell another story here. Uh, back in the Old Testament, King David... Uh, got, he was, it was the time of the year where the kings would normally go out and fight wars. And instead of going out and fighting wars, David was like, I'm going to sit this one out. And he's hanging out around the palace. One day he goes outside and he looks over the rooftops and he sees beautiful Bathsheba taking a bath. And he's like, she's pretty hot. I think I want that. And so he he hooks up with Bathsheba. But rather than being just kind of a little one-night stand where they hook up and it's all good, he finds out that she's pregnant. And this is where the story gets a little interesting because not only is she, is she pregnant, but her husband's like one of his best friends. So it's, it's all kinds of bad stuff. Well, his be, his best, her husband was uh, Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah was out there fighting in the battles while David was back home um, gazing at women from rooftops. And so David comes up with a way to take care of the situation. I'll call Uriah back from the battlefield, tell him to go in and be with his wife. And then, then they'll think that the baby is, is his and hers and everything will be good. But Uriah is so loyal and so committed to being one of the troops. Even when he's commanded to be home by the king, he doesn't go into his wife. He sleeps on the doorstep. And so David, it's gotten to such a low point. The only way he can think to cover up his sin to have Uriah killed. And so he commands the commander of the army out there that when, you're, when, when you rush out into battle, I want you to signal everybody except for Uriah to pull back. And they do that, and Uriah is just slaughtered by the enemy. And David thinks that, thinks that he's got away with everything. Not only did he commit adultery, he had a guy killed. He can marry Bathsheba. It'd be the honorable thing to do in that culture. Everything, nobody's going to know. And then... Nathan the prophet shows up with a brilliant piece of storytelling. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came into him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. He's pouring it on. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David burned with anger against this man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that little lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. That's the power of storytelling. <laughs> See, in this, in this time, think about that. You're the prophet, and you found out that the king has done something horrible. A king who was willing to have somebody killed to cover up what he did. You can't go in there and call that king out, right? You can't go into the king's courts and say, you committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. You can't do that because you'll be killed, right? But by this brilliant piece of storytelling, David has actually gotten David's heart, Nathan has gotten David to condemn himself from his own heart by making this judgment. Now, those are a few examples from the Bible of, of good storytelling <laughs> from, from one uh, aspect. But what I want to look at tonight 
is kind of the way that as storytelling, as we tell stories, how we can connect with our audience. Now, the first thing is to know your audience. In the next two weeks, either through music or speaking, I will be at a Mexican restaurant, I'll be at a mental institution, I'll be at a children's hospital in New Orleans, I will be at church on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm in a large variety of context. And so I may have a story that I would share in different places, but I'm going to share it in different ways. If I'm, if I'm hanging out with sick kids in children's hospital or mental patients at a mental hospital, or I mean, really, Sunday morning is pretty much like that anyway. Um, <laughs> no. Um, so the first thing is to know your audience to know who you're communicating with, to kind of contextualize it. But the second thing is hitting on something that is universal. You know, in that story that Nathan told to David, this is a universal thing. Somebody stole a sheep. It was a treasure. You know, he's hitting on something that's, that, that aroused David's anger and his sense for justice. So what we're going to do tonight, can I get one of these? Oh, yeah, I'll get one of these so I can stick to y'all's notes because I've got a different set of notes. Um, yeah. We're going to watch a clip here. Um, the first one's going to be a clip from a comedian named Louis C.K., um, who I think is probably one of the best com comedians for just relatability to everyday life. He's going to talk about some things that, uh, in, in this one little, it's just a little interview with uh, Tonight Show person. Um, so I want us to, as we watch this clip, pay attention to what are the universal things that kind of resonate and the points that kind of stick out to you. And then we'll, uh, we're going to listen to two stories after that. In a phone. And you actually would hate people with zeros in their numbers because it was more was like, right. oh, this guy's got two zeros. Screw that guy. Why do I want to? Yeah. And then if, you, if they called and you weren't home, the phone would just ring lonely by itself. <laughs> And then if you wanted money, you had to go in the bank for when yes. it was open for like three hours. You had to stand in line, write yourself a check like an idiot. And then when you ran out of money, you'd just go, well, I can't do any more things now. <laughs> right. I can't do any more That's things. That's it, yeah. That was it. And even if you had a credit card, they'd, the guy would go, ugh, and he'd bring out this whole shunk, shunk, and he'd write yes. all cruddy. You'd have to call the president to see if you had any money. And it's all true, kids. You phone. had to call the president, yeah. It was ridiculous. Yes. Do you feel that we now, in the 21st century, we take technology for granted? Well, yeah, because now we live in an, in an amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the, on the crappiest generation of just spoiled idiots <laughs> that don't care, because this is what people are like now. They got their phone, and they're like, ugh, it won't. Give it a second. <laughs> give it, it's going to space. <laughs> Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light true? Yeah. Yeah. I was on a, I was on an airplane and there was internet, high speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane and they go, open up your laptop. You can go on the internet and it's fast. And I'm watching YouTube clips. It's I'm in an airplane, and then it breaks down and they apologize. The internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, this is bull. Like, how quickly the world owes him something yes. he knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right. Right. And on planes... Flying is the worst one, because people come back from flights, and they tell you their story. And it's like a horror story. It's they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. Right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane, and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We had to sit there. Oh, really, what happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero that you got to fly? You're flying! It's amazing. Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, oh my god! Wow! Yes! You're flying! You're 
You're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's right. Now, now, Louis. But, but it doesn't. It doesn't go back a lot. <laughs> and it's, and it's not really. You know, here's the thing. People like they say there's delays on flights. Delays yeah. really. New York to California in five hours. That used to take 30 years to do that. And a bunch of you would die on the way there and have a baby. You'd be a whole different group of people by the time you got there. Now you watch a movie and you take a dump in your home. Yeah. Well, nicer way to say it than that, but yeah, it's a... No. Oh, quick, I gotta stop it before we get another clip. Uh... So, what, what's some of the uh, universals in that, that little silly clip? And gratitude, yeah. yeah all the, we'll just put a big N and then gratitude. Oh, gra gra gratitude. Is it in patience or M? M. Okay, thank you. What else? What's that? Everybody? Yeah, phone. No appreciation. Yeah, what, what I love about this clip, like, ever since I saw, and I, I, I go back to this one a lot, but when I'm on a plane now, I always, I just, when I'm tempted to, to get aggravated, like, oh, I just, you know, me and Dina often look in, at each other when, when we're like, we're in a chair in the sky. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, and, and again, like, that's a cool thing. It's comedy, but it's comedy that, that stuck with us. Like, I mean, we find ourselves just, uh, the, the point of it um, is, is so universal and so applicable. I mean, it's not like he's, it's not like your typical story that ends somewhere. But, but I think that what Louis C.K. is good at, and honestly, I think any good comedian, I mean, the really good ones, there's something in the, J Jim Gaffigan, he's another one that, uh, I, we may show this clip next week, he's got this thing about, you know, McDonald's. You know, everybody's always hating on McDonald's because it's, it's obesity and fast food and bad and blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, everybody's got their own McDonald's. We just, you know, uh, whatever that thing is that you're ashamed of that you do, that's your McDonald's, you know? <laughs> and it's, uh, but that's the, it's a lot funnier when he tells it too. Um, but that's the, I think the, the, the best thing about good comedians is good comedians have a lot to do with good storytellers because they know how to connect with the very common experiences that we go through and kind of the mundane things. I mean, here's a guy who's flying on a plane, a very mundane thing, and he's finding something humorous and something insightful in that experience that, that can help us to all see it. Now, what I'm going to do next uh, we're going to listen to two stories here, and I want us, we're going to do the same kind of exercise. Uh, listen for the things that connect with us, the universal themes in these, and, and what, what you feel like, uh, how well you think they did. There's a podcast um, called The Moth. Anybody listen to The Moth? It's, um, the Moth is a club up in New York City, and they have these just story nights all the time. And they call them story slams. And people... I guess they have a topic on a certain night. The topic on this one, this was from their latest episode for its, so it's Father's Day, because um, it just came out a few days ago. And so that's the topic. People show up, and they all share stories, something related to fathers. And, and every story's got to be like under seven minutes, so they're short. Um, and then, you know, for those of you that get really good at this, there are professional storytellers. They actually have prizes and stuff for people who can tell uh, a, a really good story. I don't know um, if any of us will rise to that rank. But um, we're going to play two stories here uh, from the, the latest episode of The Moth, and then we'll just kind of talk about some of the things in those stories. So without further ado. Up first, David Kendall. 
He told his story at an open mic story slam competition we produced in New Orleans with our friends at WWNO. Here's David. Just listening. The first time I fell in love, it wasn't with a girl, and it wasn't with a person. I was eight years old, and I lived in my hometown of Cottage Grove, Tennessee. It was a tiny little dot up in the northwest corner of the state. There were 110 people that lived in Cottage Grove. There was one store, there was a post office, there was a gas station, there was a ch- uh, one school, there were four churches. <laughs> and that's the kind of place it was. And I realized early on, I don't want to live here the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't fit in. And I wondered, are there other people that feel like I do? Well, as it turns out, there were other people. I never asked, but one of those people, I'm pretty sure, was my father, Ralph Kendall. And I realized this when I remembered how he used to sit in front of the stereo at night, go through his record collection, and play music while drinking Falstaff beer, smoking cool cigarettes. And he would sing along, and he would laugh. And sometimes he'd cry if it was Hank Williams. And it's, I realized at that point, I don't think other daddies in Cottage Grove, Tennessee do this. As soon as I got old enough, I started listening to music with him. Because I loved the sounds and also because I desperately wanted some way to connect with this very hard-to-know man. And through him, I first heard Hank Williams, Johnny Cash, Bob Wilson, the Texas Playboys, Jim Reeves, all classic country artists that I would learn to appreciate the older I got. But the night I remember the most, and the night that changed my life, was the night that he went into the closet and he brought out a box of old 78s. And he started rummaging through them. And he pulled one out and he said, I'd forgotten I had this. I never listened to it very much. He said, but I got a feeling that you'll like it, Hoss. He called me Hoss after Hoss Cartwright on Bonanza. (laughs) He took the record out of the sleeve. He put it on the turntable. He put the needle on it and the hiss and the crackle and the pop of the old vinyl gave way to this glorious, raucous, epic opening salvo car wreck guitar riff of Chuck Berry's Maybelline and those killer lyrics as I was a motivating over the hill I saw Maybelline in a coupe de ville Cadillac rolling on open road nothing out run my V8 folk wow I never heard anything like this in my life and as a kid raised in a southern Baptist tradition I was pretty sure I wasn't supposed to like it But I sure did like it. And when the song ended, he reached to take it off the record player. And I said, Daddy, no, no, no. Play it again. Play it again. Please, please, please play it again. He said, I figured you'd like that, Hoss. Yeah, I'll play it again. He played it again. And he played it again and again and again. And I don't know how many times I made him play that. But I know he played it until my mama walked in the room. And she looked at him a certain way. And he stopped playing it then. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, it wouldn't be too long after that till I would get my first guitar. And I would try to recreate those sounds I heard on that record. But it was really hard. And I didn't think I was very good. When it came to musical talent, I did not consider myself gifted. And it would take me 20 long years to escape the clutches of Cottage Grove, Tennessee. But when I finally left, I headed for a music city. I went to Austin, Texas. It was Labor Day of 1989. I had my car packed, I was ready to go. And I was standing on the front porch of my parents' house about to say goodbye. And my daddy said, hang on, Hoss, I got something for you. He walked back in the house, he came outside, and he said, I know how much you love this, And I thought you might want it. 
and he handed me that 78 of Chuck Berry's Maybelline. And it was a wonderful present. It was the best present I ever got. But the real gift that I got all those years ago was a love and appreciation for good music. And it's a gift that I could never wear out and I could never lose and I could never outgrow. And I regret that I didn't tell him this when he was alive. So I'm going to say it now. Thank you, Ralph Kendall. Thank you. That was David Kendall with his tribute to his late father and the late Chuck Berry. David is now a singer, songwriter, and musician in Austin, Texas, where he's lived for most of the last 30 years with stints in Guatemala, Costa Rica, and New Orleans thrown in. He wrote, My early years spent on a farm in rural northwest Tennessee have been a great source of inspiration for stories and songs. I told another story featuring my father at a local storytelling event here in Austin, and that went over well. So my father's definitely been a good source for material. He'd probably be happy about that. Next up, we have a story from Chris Myers. He told it at the Story Slam in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we partner with Wisconsin Public Radio in 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. Here's Chris Myers. In the uh, run-up to my first daughter's birth, I uh, discovered that the gulf between how I thought I should feel and how I did feel was getting wider and wider. It wasn't so much that I felt um, blue or sad or anything. It was just that it was a little bit beyond my reach. So this came to a quick head as two weeks before she was born, my wife and I, late one evening, we're hanging out. She sits down and says, ooh. And it is the most significant ooh I'm ever going to hear in my life. (laughs) Because we spend three and a half hours trying to figure out if we're in labor. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if you're planning on having a kid or if you're on your way to having a kid, if you spend three hours, if you spend two hours trying to figure out if you're in labor, you're in labor. (laughs) So we rush to the hospital, and about 45 minutes after that, I'm holding my daughter, Eleanor, and I'm relieved. I'm happy in a sense, but I'm not really feeling the joy. It's still kind of beyond me. Well, luckily my wife steps in and she sends me to go get her some non-hospital food. And so I go across the street to Whole Foods, which is a bastion of drama. And there, in aisle, I think it was seven, I'm reaching for an Italian soda, and as I reach for it, I hear a drum beat on the radio. Dum, 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 And a keyboard, and a baby's cry. And it's this throwaway song that I've never paid attention to, for the most part. But I fall to my knees sobbing, because it's Stevie freaking wonders, isn't she lovely? And I am suddenly clobbered by the reality of what is hit. And, well, frankly, I'm floored. And as I'm having my epiphany, I'm sitting there, and I can hear in the back of my head this voice saying something to the effect of, there's an incident in aisle seven. And I'm looking around thinking, I'm the only guy in aisle seven. There's nothing going on. Oh. Good parenthood moment, I'm gonna mention, I didn't drop the bottle. (laughs) Cradled, sobbing over my lemon-lime Italian soda. I get this 19-year-old kid, he's kind of geeky looking, and comes up, very Whole Foods-y. And he's like, are you okay, sir? And I'm cradling a bottle of Italian soda and trying to explain to him the beauty, the depth, the grapes of, of what 10 fingers and 10 toes is suddenly meaning to me. And I'm not doing a good job of it. And finally, I just settle for, I'm fine. I spent a lot of time at the floor of Whole Foods aisle seven cradling bottles of Italian soda. <sighs> and he goes away. He's glad that I tell him I'm fine. But the problem is still in aisle seven. So. I rate a little bit higher, and I get the manager, who looks like Rush Limbaugh's angrier brother. (laughs) And 
And so I decide honesty is the best policy this time around. And as soon as he gets up there, I try and stand up. Standing up looks like you're in control. And so I turn to him, and I'm like, look, man, I just had my first daughter born not an hour ago across the street from here. And this song is playing. And he hasn't heard it. It's background noise to him. But suddenly he does. And his face is blank for a second. And then I am buried in man. <laughs> and my shoulder's getting wet. And all he can sob out to me is, mine was born three months ago, too. All right, what was the... What's the central uh, thing in this story? In the last one, it was Chuck Berry. What is it in this one that kind of unites it? What's the central thing, though, that ties them together? Stevie Wonder. <laughs> it, it's funny that the first two stories have to do with music and fathers. Works for me, though. It is, but it's the song that, that causes them to cry. The song is the... Oh, yeah. But I'm saying as far as this... But I'm saying as far... But I'm saying as far as telling a story, the song is a very central part about telling that. It wouldn't have been a cool, it wouldn't have been like, I was just walking through, through Whole Foods and then all of a sudden it hit me that how beautiful my daughter was and then I bumped into another guy and I told him, like, that would have been good. But I gotta tell you, as a guy who has a daughter who's had that moment before of hearing, isn't she lovely? and crying like i mean i've that song caught me off guard i mean i can't remember like the specific moment like in whole foods but i remember when tevia was born i didn't cry i was holding her i'm like i'm afraid i'm gonna break her you know i'm like what's what's going on here like isn't there somebody more qualified but i remember like that a song that i'd never listened to before it had probably played in the background of multiple stores that i've been shopping in it's no stevie wonder song that i ever paid attention to and all of a sudden it comes on one day and i start getting teared up um so i i think as far as a universal thing like for i mean at least universal in the sense of i i do think there's something you know as a parent i mean maybe it, it, it wouldn't have affected this story wouldn't have meant anything to me or as much without a kid, but I think that it that that's a very good um, centerpiece. Um, Dina has a story that she tells about having the birth of Tevia, our daughter, um, and the central thing in her story is one forty-three, which means I love you. Uh, and this story that that went back to her cheerleading coach in high school used to say one four three to everybody and Dina when she was she was in labor like over 24 hours a long time trying to do it natural finally gave up but felt like she was letting God down because we were around a kind of church at that time that if you just believed enough and tried hard enough and had enough faith you could do this thing and God wants you to have it naturally without any drugs and all this stuff and so it was very hard for her to finally like they said if you don't take an epidural you're probably gonna you might die she finally took the epidural had Tevia and when they looked up at the at the time the doctor said, let it be known that this, this kid was born at 143. And for somebody who struggled with, well, is God going to love me? She was saying that to the birthing coach right up to that moment. Like, is God going to love me? Is God going to accept me? And she was like, yes. And then to hear that Tevi was born at 143 in the morning, it was like, I love you. 
But but in her story, that 143, and, and that's what I'm saying, not every story has one of these central elements f- around which, but if you can land on something that is a central element, like Stevie Wonder, Maybelline, 143, um, one of those things, that's a great way to kind of craft your story. So as you're thinking through how to tell your own stories, uh, say that. Uh, is there any, any other things on the way that guy told that story? That was a simple story. Any other things that, besides Stevie Wonder, that, any notes that you... How'd you feel about his performance? I mean, his telling of the story. We won't call it a performance. Is it good? Thumbs up? Yeah. He seemed a little bit more polished than the first guy, but um, okay. Um, let me see. Let me get out the class notes. Hang on. My problem is I do all this cutting and pasting, and so I've got like multiple. I'm going to have to get another version of these notes here. So. Printed too much of them anyway, so we'll go over just a couple of things. Um, as far as universal themes, one of the the biggest things that I like to shoot for in Sunday services, uh, I mean, really in any communicating thing, is the "me too" factor. Um, I I will often <laughs> share things that are maybe a little embarrassing, maybe a little ashamed of, but I would love, I love it when I share something and somebody out in the audience who may be feeling alone, maybe feeling like they're the only person going through this thing, they go, oh, me too. That's a, that's a huge thing. I've had that happen to me so many times. I mean, I think, even thinking back to like Louis C.K., yeah, I've been aggravated with technology. I've been a little inconsiderate and and unappreciative of things and impatient. Yeah, me too. Uh, so so part of connecting with universals is finding those things that that will help your audience go, oh, me too. Uh, if you can make that connection, that's that's brilliant. Um, so good stories connect with universal themes: love, heartache, loss, embarrassment, shame. Achievement, fear. Um, anything, even in both, in both of these stories, they both involved music. They involved relationships. Those are all things. Um, one thing that is important in finding universal things is that, and this is, this is where it takes a little bit of a, work on the process of, of telling your story and writing your story is sometimes there are things that are incredibly meaningful to you that don't have universal appeal. Um, when you're communicating with people, you need to try to land on, try to think of the things that actually connect with people outside of you. Have you ever been around people that have like an insider joke and you don't know what it is? You ever been that person? <laughs> like, and they're all like, oh, uh, you know, and they say some random word like water balloon and everybody starts cracking up and you're like, ha 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 ha. You know, you, you feel very cut out. Uh, I remember years ago when I was at the vineyard in Kenner, right after Katrina, our worship band would practice on Tuesday nights. And after practice, there were some guys we would get together with all the, we had a whole uh, Katrina relief camp next to the church. And so we'd have visitors from all over the country, but we'd have a collection of guys from the relief workers and guys from the worship team and sound men. And we'd all sit outside and smoke cigars um, after worship, you know, with all the bad kids out behind the church. And um, I remember sometimes these uh, sound friends of mine, if you got two or three of those guys together, they start talking about, you know, capacitors and ohms and megahertz and 
all this stuff. And here I am, a guy who's played music forever, and I know how to run a little bit of sound. I just don't know all the technical stuff. All of a sudden, like, these are friends of mine, and I just feel completely shut out of the conversation. Steve can do this to me if he wants, but he doesn't. He's <laughs> um, One way we do this in the church, oftentimes, have you ever been around people, or maybe you've struggled with this yourself, that speak Christianese? You know, I, sometimes I get around certain Christians that you know, glory to God, blessed be, atonement and redemption. And, and every word is like, and you're just like, well, what are you actually saying? You know, and, and, and so we need to be careful when we're communicating, not just to have some universal elements in there, but also to watch out how we phrase things. Are we speaking in a language that people can understand? Uh, and so maybe you're not even aware of that. So sometimes it's good. That, you know, that's why I always listen back to the recordings of Sunday mornings. I always go back and listen to myself because it makes me a better speaker because I start to hear there's, there's things that I'm, I'm always trying to improve on. Um, you, may, you may think, wow, you're not listening enough. Um, <laughs> I think one other aspect, and then we'll get on to uh, the second exercise. One thing I tell musicians all the time when I do little musicians clinics, um, the difference between good musicians and great musicians often comes down to listening. A lot of people don't think music has a lot to do with listening, but music has more to do with listening than actually playing, if you want to be great. Um, Because I know a lot of technically brilliant musicians who don't pay attention to to the music or other people and they're no fun to play with (laughs) they can technically outshine me and other people but they're not paying attention to what's going on around them and so it's it's useless and i think the same thing goes for for learning how to to tell stories we need to become good listeners everywhere you go uh listen to when you're, when you're listening to a coworker, when you're sitting down, is learn how to be present and pay attention to them. Uh, when you're listening to a podcast, when you're watching a movie, try to reflect on some of those things when you're done with it. Like, ah, oh, what were the main themes there? What were some of the, because a lot of the stuff, if we just start to wake up and pay attention, we'll, um, we'll start to internalize these things. Um, listen to yourself. Pay attention to the stories you tell. And the last thing I'll say before we get into this first interactive exercise is, what is the last thing I'm going to say? One of the things that, to, in order to, to learn how to tell good stories, it requires reflection. So this is something I think we're not prone to doing in this world because we are constantly distracted with these little devices. Uh, Dina and I were talking about this yesterday. Dina, who's distracted by her phone right now. Um, we were <laughs> talking about what? What? I know. <laughs> uh, we're talking about how on this three-week road trip, we're like, yeah, you know, the kids did pretty good. And, and Dina was like, well, maybe it's because they, you know, they had their little devices. And so, you know, they never got really bored. They could always just look down. I was like, oh, maybe that is. But in a sense, that's also a little sad, too. But uh, one, of the, one of the things that will help us become better at communicating our stories is learning how to reflect on our own lives. And that requires silence. So just learning how to sit down and, and maybe... You know, some people like to journal. Like for me, I, I often write songs out of those places, but to just get quiet and reflect over our lives, think of, think of things and, and let create some space. And it may be, may be real quiet for a while before you get anything. But again, I, I think that storytelling is as much about learning to be a good listener as it is being a good communicator. So the more we grow in that, the better we can get in the other aspects. Okay, so... Tonight, let's see, how many people we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. I think the way we'll do this, one, two, three, four, five, six. We'll break the ladies up into two groups of three. And I guess the guys, we can just do one group of five. Um, We're going to take a couple of minutes here and... It's exercise two on the back of your thing. 
What is a memorable story in your life that took place during the holidays? Uh, this can be a funny story, a sad story, or just some moment that has stuck with you for years. As you reflect on this story, ask yourself what aspects have meaning to only you and what as aspects have universal meaning. Reflect on how you felt during the event uh, you are describing. Sad, happy, tired, angry. You know that, that last story we had uh, about the Stevie Wonder song? And that, that, that part of him just breaking down on the aisle and crying? Like, that, that's... You want your audience to feel, so... Um, it's important to think about how we were feeling during things and write that down. Um, write down a brief outline with an intro, a beginning, a middle, <laughs> the content, and the conclusion. Each person will have three to four minutes to share their story from a holiday with the other participants. Um, those who are listening need to take note of the following. What did I identify with in that story? What connected with me? How did the story make you feel? What was my favorite part? Share your answers and then repeat this process with each person at your table. Should we do two groups of three or just do one group of six and one group of five? Okay. We'll do two groups of three on the women and y'all three want to do together? Okay. You and the paces? And then y'all three can get together. Uh, we'll, we'll take about five minutes for you to just reflect and write down some ideas. And what I want to say one little thing. We're not looking for perfect stories. Obviously, you're, you're just writing this on the spot. So we're just, we're just trying to get in the habit. And we're going to do exercises like this each week where we help each other get better at sharing stories. So just take a couple minutes to think of something, write some things down, and we'll take it from there. You're not going to have to share them from the microphone tonight. 